It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. We welcome you along to the programme on what is a very chilly day. If you're heading out today, you need to wrap up at warm. And don't forget, we're giving away another €500 Euro today. Yesterday, Shane McGill in Mayfield was the winner of €500 Euro on our Snap the app. You need to download the C103 app to your phone and then snap a screenshot of the app to show us that you've downloaded it and then stay listening. At some stage during the programme, I'll open up the WhatsApp and tell you when to send in your screenshot and you could be joining me on air for a quick chat and become a qualifier today on the programme who will go forward to a draw this afternoon with Martina and somebody at the end of the day will be €500 better off. Snap the app, make sure you've downloaded the C103 app if you haven't already done it and listen to play all week long here on C103. 0818-103-103. John Paul taking your calls and the RTE saga rumbles on the latest. This broke late last night, so it hasn't actually made any of the papers today. But this is Shun Rally. She has resigned as chair of the RTE board. She said her position was no longer tenable. She said it was abundantly clear that she had lost the confidence of the Minister for Media, Catherine Martin. And of course, the reason that this all came to a head last night was the Minister for Media, Catherine Martin, appeared on uh, on prime time last night and in that programme she was asked a number of times to express confidence in Shuini Rally and she wasn't able to do it. Now Catherine Martin had sought a meeting with the chair of the RTE board. She wanted to meet her this morning. Uh, she said that she, the Minister said she'd been misinformed by Shuini Rally on two occasions and that was just this week and it was in regard to the board's approval of recent exit packages. It was two in particular. It was the Rory Coveney one and the Richard Collins ones. Uh, Collins ones. But it turns out that the package that uh, Richard Collins got went before the remuneration uh, committee and Shuini Rally is chair of that audit and remuneration committee. So she would have known about Richard Collins. She would have known that he got an exit packet and more importantly she would have known how much he got because it went before the remuneration uh, committee even though twice Catherine Martin said she asked her this week and twice the chair said she didn't know anything about the exit packages. Now Shuin Nirali has issued a statement 
confirming her resignation last night and she said it's abundantly clear from the statements yesterday and in particular what happened on last night's uh, primetime broadcast that I no longer have the confidence of the Minister in my role as Chair of RTE as such. My position is no longer tenable. And she said this evening or yesterday evening she consulted with the board. She also by the way spoke with the Director General Kevin Backers and she's decided then to resign her um, uh, position. Uh, She also confirmed that she wasn't going to attend that meeting by the way with the media minister uh, this morning. She said in her statement that she had not intentionally given misrepresentation to Minister Martin. She said, I was asked if the board knew about the exit packages for Rory Coveney and Richard Collins. I said that I was aware of them, but that they hadn't come before the full board. However, she said, I neglected to recollect that Richard Collins' exit packet did come before the Renumeration Committee and, of course, she's chair of that Renumeration uh, Committee. Uh, Shun Nirali's statement concluded with serving as chair of RTE is a privilege. She said it requires the confidence of the minister and it's abundantly clear uh, that she uh, no longer has that confidence. She said her resignation is a source of sadness to her, but she says unavoidable. And she went on to say there's now an urgent need for the funding model of RTE to be restored and for the transformation process to continue apace. And yet again, uh, it's just, it's, it's one of those, it's the story that literally keeps on giving. You think nothing else can go wrong uh, for RTE and then this happens. I have to say, I did watch the media minister, Catherine Martin, on primetime uh, last night and it, it did look like Mary McCallaghan was almost calling for her to force Shuani Rally to resign or call for her uh, resignation. So it really, having watched that last night, it really was, I, I don't think Shuani Rally had any choice. I mean, you know, she was, she, she was one of those chairs that came in trying to clean up after the mess and then gets embroiled in a mess uh, herself. You know, we were talking about it in the office and you wondered, is Kevin Backer scratching his head wondering what have I taken on in this monster that is RTE? 0818 And there's another story that is capturing headlines in the paper. And it's one of those stories of... Uh, an exaggerated uh, claim, a fraudulent uh, claim possibly of uh, somebody in a car accident and they go and make out that their injuries are way worse and of course they're going, they're looking for a really, really high claim. And of course, when we get exaggerated claims like this, they're not victimless crimes because we all suffer for it. We all pay more in our insurance premiums when people go to court and and try and get high damages, damages that they're not really entitled to. And the case that's making the the papers today is to do with a woman who claims she suffered disabling injuries in a car accident that she says left her unable to work for over five years. And she was in the High Court looking for €760,000. And uh, it was dismissed. Why? Because she admitted winning a Christmas tree throwing competition about a year after she had this same accident. The lady involved is Camilla Grab Sky, 36-year-old from Ennis. She told the High Court that she suffers constant pain in her back, in her neck, her thoracic spine. It's left her unable to lift groceries or to play with her children following a car accident that happened in February in 2017. However, a photo of 
Camilla Grabsky. Throwing a Christmas tree was actually published in the Irish Independent because it it's a great photograph. It's a, one of those real action photographs. And that was published in January of 2018. So less than a year after this accident, she was taking part in a Christmas tree throwing competition which, by the way, she won. Footage of her during the hearing also showed her play wrestling with a very large and strong Dalmatian dog. And the video footage was of her in very boisterous play with this dog for over an hour and a half. Uh, Miss Grabsky, a married woman uh, of two, sued the RSA insurance for damage for damages. And she was the passenger in a car. Now, the car was rear-ended in Ennis. She was on her way to work. She says she suffered debilitating pain uh, in as a result of the accident. Before the footage and her win in the Christmas tree throwing competition uh, came at a time when she told doctors she was suffering constant pain in her neck, thoracic spine and her back. Now, medical evidence put before the court heard that she could lift a glass of water and a light bag but that was it. If she lifted a heavier bag, she would suffer pain throughout her whole body. She told the court she had pain every day, but some days were worse than others. She says on good days, she can go out for a gentle walk with her children and maybe do some housework. But she said on bad days, her husband would have to bring pain medication to her in bed and then she wouldn't be able to get out of the bed until at least 12 noon. Now, the Christmas tree throwing event in which she won was held in January of 2018. That coincided Incidentally, that January the 7th date is important because that she she entered and won the Christmas tree competition throwing two days before she went into a doctor saying she couldn't even lift a bag of groceries. The pain in her back was so bad. So uh, counsel for the RSA uh, um, in, asked, asked her if she ever told any of the many doctors that she attended since the car accident that she had won the Christmas tree throwing competition. And she said, no, because I forgot I had won it, even though two days after she was in with a, a doctor. And then there was also footage which came from last November that, that this video footage was played in Cork. And this showed her taking her dog for one of these training sessions in a park close to the house. Now, the footage opened with the dog having a poo and she was clearly seen bending over, squatting down, cleaning up after the dog. So she's a res- responsible pet owner. But then the footage, which lasted for an hour and a half, largely showed her wrestling. You know, one of those large, thick rope toys that you wrestle with uh, a dog. And she was observed rapidly passing the large toy rope from one hand to the other as the dog was clinging on. And, you know, that sort of play fighting that you have with, with the dog. But this, remember, is a Dalmatian they're big strong dogs. The court heard that she was initially assessed shortly after the accident and at that time it was determined by a doctor that yes she had su- suffered soft tissue issues but the doctor at that time reckoned it would heal within a period of three to six months. However the court heard that although she did go back to work after three weeks after the accident she later quit the job went went on disability allowance because she said the pain had worsened to the point that she was in constant pain and uh, she said that she lived with this constant pain and when she was asked yesterday she said she still had the constant pain and she said she was in court and she was in pain right now sitting in the courtroom but the case got dismissed. Judge Carmel Stewart said she had very graphic pictures of Miss Grabsky throwing the Christmas tree in front of her. She said it's a very large natural Christmas tree 
that has been thrown by her in a very agile movement. The medical evidence before the court, she said, was completely at odds with the Christmas tree throwing uh, event. And obviously she also went on to speak about what strong dogs at Dalmatians were. So Judge Dewar said, I'm afraid I cannot but conclude that the exaggerations were entirely exaggerated. And on that basis, she uh, dismissed the uh, claim. But goodness me, she was going for $760,000, two quarters of a million uh, euro, but it got thrown out. But as I say, it's not victimless, victimless crimes. If that woman had got that uh, payout, all of us end up paying it because we all end up paying more on our insurance premiums because of it. Very annoying. Pat Infomoy listening to me talk about that woman who tried to claim three quarters of a million in what the judge described as an entirely exaggerated uh, claim. Pat says uh, the question nobody has answered yet is who's going to pay the costs? Is it the public or is, 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 it, is it her? I'm assuming she'll have to pay her own legal fees but should she not also pay the legal fees of the, uh, the insurance company RSA? It doesn't say costs it doesn't say anything about costs on it, but yeah, it's a good point, uh, Pat, uh, in Formoy, uh, for sure. And someone else says, Patricia, that insurance claim woman should change her surname from Grabsky to Grab Cash. <laughs> oh, wait, one eight one oh three one oh three. And by the way, we're going to be talking about items been interfered with and removed in graveyards later on on the programme. We've actually one of the one of our local councillors from Bandon who has been on about something that happened at, at his beloved dad's grave. And it's a really upsetting thing to happen. But Anne was in Recroom. It's, it's on a graveyard but a different uh, issue. She was visiting loved ones in a graveyard in Macroom, and she says could you put a shout out to people to please go back and visit the graves that they visited at Christmas and remove the Christmas wreaths that were placed on them. Anne says there's a lot of plastic and red ribbons from the from the wreaths. Obviously, all of the the foliage has uh, died off, and she said it's making the many of the graves look very untidy. So, could please people please go back? You went and visited your loved ones at Christmas. Go back and visit them again, and just take home your rubbish or collect up some of the what's contained on the wreaths and maybe give them to local organisations. They may be able to use them for craft uh, work. 0818103103 on RTE. Jimmy, at this stage, it's becoming a joke. The fact that people can, people get up early in the morning to work and pay their taxes. And as this hour, money is being misused. Things certainly need to change within RTE. The entire organisation needs to be overhauled at this stage. And Anne in Aherla says the misuse of money and management would not happen in a private company or organisation. It's apparent the attitude within RTE is not changing. So while they talk about changing the organisation, talk about changing, it clearly is not happening at the moment. Uh, So people are still annoyed with all of the latest revelations coming out from RTE. Now yesterday, representatives of the Football Association of Ireland were before the Dáil Public Accounts Committee who are examining the oversight and governance of departmental and Sport Ireland funding. From a Cork point of view, the FAI were criticised for its failure to bring a plan for a centre of excellence in Glanmire to fruition. And Fianna Gael, uh, Dáil Deputy Colm Burke is a member of the PAC and Colm joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Colm. Good morning, Patricia. And before we get to the FAI, can we start with um, RTE? Because we know RTE were before the Public Accounts uh, Committee. Um, Shuani Raleigh has uh, resigned. Do you believe she was right that the Minister just literally had no had no confidence left in her? Well, I think it's complicated. I think one of the concerns that I have, and yesterday there were four of us 
um, from the Public Accounts Committee going through line by line of the draft report that we had prepared. Um, and one of the issues I added into it was the fact that, um, for instance, the chair of the Board of Tyne, Shunirana, asked the Forbes to resign. But the question I had was, did she look for legal advice before she made that request to D Forbes to resign? And uh, I think as a result of she resigning then, we weren't able to bring her before the Public Accounts Committee in a sense that if she was still in RT, we might have had got some answers to some of the questions that still remain unanswered. Um, in this case, I do believe that um, I think there could have been a better way of dealing with um, she, the, the way the minister managed this, um, in the sense that I think it would have been preferable if there was a, a private meeting and all the issues gone through before a decision was taken. And then if it was deemed it was no longer uh, appropriate for her to remain on as chair, then a formal statement issued and the reasons set out as to why that was the position. Um, I think the question now arises with the board in the sense that if the matter of payments for people who are leaving RTE was approved by the board and the board also approved the confidentiality agreement as regards the sums paid out, then I think the board's position is now at risk as well because this was a matter before the Public Accounts Committee the taxpayers' money is being paid into RTE, a substantial amount of money being paid in. The taxpayers are looking for full transparency and are entitled to know uh, how that money is being used. And by putting in confidentiality clauses and two agreements where people are leaving is not acceptable as far as I'm concerned. If it was approved by the board, then I think the board is now at risk and it should, uh, I, I think it should be carefully examined by the Minister as regards whether we should go in with a new board and a fresh start. But it, it from what, from my reading of Shuni Raleigh's statement uh, this morning, it went before the remuneration committee. She was at pains to point out to the Minister that it didn't go before the full board. It was just the remuneration but, but, but committee. But I presume the remuneration committee came in uh, then reported back to the board. That's normally what happens with subcommittees on boards. But I still maintain that an issue like this where there was substantial money being paid out should have come before a board and should have been approved by a board before it was signed off on. And I certainly think the confidentiality clauses was not acceptable in the circumstances where this whole issue arose over payments behind the scenes where there was no accountability in relation to the payments to rent property through the barter account. That was the whole issue that started off this process. Therefore, any other agreements thereafter, there was a need for full transparency. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Do you, do you believe we'll ever find out how much was paid out? Well, you see, the problem now is that, um, the, as I understand it, is the, um, the Director General has written to the people who did receive payments, you know, if they have a difficulty about it <coughs> being disclosed, if they don't respond or they don't give their consent, then the RT may be in difficulty about um, releasing that information. They could be open to legal challenge because there was an agreement signed and part of that agreement was a confidentiality clause as regards what, what was being paid out to them. So no matter what way RT go on it, unless the people who receive the money consent, then RT is, is technically powerless on it, which I think is unfortunate in view of the fact that this was a matter before the Public Accounts Committee already and the issue before them was about the lack of transparency. 
But Kevin Backhurst was quick to release uh, Breed O'Keefe's €450,000 exit packet. I don't know whether there was an issue there, whether or not there was a confidentiality. Oh, maybe not. There. Maybe not. Um, I, I'm not sure what the story is there. Okay. Um, but again, there's serious question marks about that amount of money being paid out by any organisation without it going through a full board. Even, say, for instance, you take our local authorities, even if we're selling the ground rent of property and it might only be £100 or €100, Euros, it still has to go through a full council meeting and there's nothing preventing any councillor from raising a, a question on, say, the sale of a ground rent. <laughs> and they're all listed on the schedule um, for issues for discussion. Normally they're approved with, without any debate. But likewise, with a, with a sum of money being paid out of that nature, then I think it should have come, the list should be brought before the board so any member of the board could raise a question on it. Uh, yeah, and I know Catherine Martin has now asked that going forward that uh, the RT board try not to include confidentiality clauses. Can she not insist that they don't include confidentiality clauses? Um, it depends. I would imagine if you have a legal process involving um, people who are, say, for instance, someone has taken an action against RT um, and the, the only way of get it resolved other than going into court was by coming to an agreement and the part on the other side was well we want um, it written into our agreement of a confidentiality clause then a legal team would have to make out the debate do we leave this going to court it could take a full um, you know it could take a number of days in there um, and incur more costs or do we come to an agreement where we put in a confidentiality clause so that's a a problem that sometimes arises in relation to coming to agreements and racial legal proceedings. Okay, all right. Let's go back then to the FAI, who were before the PAC yesterday. Can you just firstly remind listeners of what were the plans for that Glanmire site and this centre of excellence? I wasn't involved in it when it was initially started. I think it goes back to about 2010, 2011, uh, where um, Cork County Council leased gave a 99 year lease to the FAI. Uh, for over 30 acres of land in Brook Lodge and Dunmire. And my understanding was that the FAI were to pump a substantial amount of money into it as regards developing a centre of excellence. Now, I did have a meeting with John Delaney, and this was going back when he was CEO of FAI, in Dunmire itself a number of years ago with the local club in Dunmire, Riverstone, uh, the soccer club, and they're a really good club. There's a really very dedicated management team in there. And we were looking for um, to see if we could get access to, to that ground when it was developed. And we were, it was clearly indicated to us by John Delaney that the local club wouldn't have access to it. This was the centre of excellence. I wouldn't be available to the local club, which I was really disappointed with the reaction we got at the time. Um, going on from there, in it appears that the lease was eventually signed um, between the County Council and the FAI. Now, we were told yesterday it was 2017. Nothing has happened with the land since for 30 acre, with the 30 acres. In August of this year, I had the Taoiseach down in Glanmire. I think we met with 18 sports organisations down there from the Ladies Football Club, Camogie, the SARS GA Club, the SARS Football Club, the Riverstone Soccer Club, the Rugby Club in the area. A whole lot of clubs there, all crying out for facilities. Um, <clears throat> and this was before the flooding of the SARS grounds. Um, you know, they had to start from scratch because of this severe flooding there. Um, 
and all of the clubs are looking for facilities and we have 30 acres lying idle. And for instance, I heard recently where the local um, Komoki club were looking for facilities for training and the earliest they could get um, one night was nine o'clock at night was the only time they could get a training facility. And it's, it's a growing area, it's a huge young population and we have 30 acres lying idle and that's why I cross-examined the FAI as regards where we're going with this. I've also had a meeting with, I had a meeting recently and was at an official opening and I raised the issue with the acting um, Chief Executive of Crockett Council, Valerie O'Sullivan. Um, my understanding is that there is some engagement now going on between the FAI and um, and Cork County Council about going forward with this project. But, but isn't isn't the big problem with the FAI funding? I mean, they're, they're, yeah, they still owe a lot of money. Well, you see, one of the things I was looking for is for the lease to be surrendered back to Cork County Council okay. and then Cork County Council come forward with a proposal. And the point I made is, and I, I always quote this one because my own home parish is in Ascara and we have 50 acres of sports grounds out there because every one of the organisations out there is independent. They own their own land, all in one block. Um, you have a rugby club, you have Musgrave Rugby Club, you have an Ascara GA, you have an Ascara Camogie, you have a soccer club, you have a pitch and putt course, but they all own their land individually. Therefore, when um, the, department, the, the sports department announced grants can be applied for, each one of them apply for them independently. And that's based on what I think is the only fastest way now of developing the facility in Glanmire, that you have a number of organisations in there, whether it's GA, whether it's um, football, you know, whether it's the soccer club, that they all come together, in, yeah, come together, yeah. but work individually then in relation to grants. Do you, and and, do, you, and do, you believe, do you believe we will see it one day built? I think we need to see facilities in Glanmire for the young people of Glanmire, for the clubs and Remember, all the people working in these clubs are working on a voluntary basis. They work extremely hard. They provide support to young people, um, whether it is soccer or rugby or, or football or hurling or camogie. And they do put in a huge amount of time, as do parents. And it's disappointing that when we build housing that we don't at the same time plan our sports facilities. We also have schools on there. You know, we have a huge secondary school, primary schools. They need access to playing facilities as well. Um, okay, they have some playing facilities themselves, but they also need to access other playing facilities um, in the area as well because of the numbers that they're catering for. And I think it's about forward planning and how we deal yeah, with it. Yeah, and it's a shame to see like a 38-acre site just uh, lying uh, idle. And well, just, it's, it's, at I, the moment, it's growing days. It's yeah. at the moment. Yeah. It has been for the last 10 years. Yeah. Now, I know it's being used. It's being, I think they're cattle grazing on it, but... But it's 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 really crucial. It's so badly needed. And okay. as well as that, there is substantial funding available for sports organisations uh, and community groups. But the problem is that we need to get access to the land. Okay. And right. I think we need to forward plan okay. as soon as possible. Okay. And just uh, just very finally on on the FAI uh, yesterday, I was watching uh, some of the uh, proceedings on a line on the Oireachtas TV. That redacted email. Uh, concerning the paying the former CAO for the for the annual leave that uh, that wasn't uh, taken, have you ever got a redacted email like that before? I mean, it was fully redacted. Yeah, it was. Um, it was an interesting an, in, an interesting engagement, uh, and again, it comes back to it's like RT. Here are organisations that are getting substantial state funding. There has to be a clear message sent out that there must be full accountability. This is taxpayers' money, and I think trying to come along and trying to 
those information to the general public, then you start losing confidence on the management team that's in there. And we've already had problems with FAI. And for instance, you take the reason why we why Glanmire was never developed was because of the fact of the financial difficulties mm. within the FAI. Yeah. And it had, and in order to assist it, in fairness, the um, the the department did come on board with substantial funding, but with conditions. Now we're finding. You know, even though those conditions were put in place, we're now finding that certain information is not being made available. It's crazy. Again. It's crazy. And then very finally, a topic we discussed uh, yesterday, the uh, reversal of the HSE decision to cut funds uh, to women who've undergone a mastectomy. You raised this issue with the Minister for Health. Yes. Basically, I think I can go back eight years on this, where eight years ago, um, back in 2016, there was a proposal in relation to reducing down the level of support for people who've had a mastectomy. I went to Kathleen Lynch at the time, as she was minister, and in fairness, she intervened, and the situation that then existed was allowed to continue. There was a committee set up to um, review, uh, because the level of support in the Cork Kerry region, in fairness, were far better than a lot of other areas of the country. What they were trying to do was introduce a national scheme. That was came along then in 2017. Again, it would involve cutbacks in the south-southwest hospital group area. Again, we intervened and nothing happened. There was no changes made. Then the new announcements, the new announcement was made in the last week. I became aware of it. I had a meeting uh, last Thursday week uh, at 10 o'clock at night with people who were really concerned about cutbacks, put in um, a topic of the issue on Monday morning for to have time in the doll debated, uh, to have it debated, and got it in on, on, on Wednesday morning. The reply I got from the minister was, we were um, going to provide funding for a prosthesis once every two years and one every bra every 12 months, whereas the old provision in the Cork region was two bras every uh, every every year. Um, that was the reply I got at uh, about quarter to 10 on Wednesday morning. It then got raised by other people in the questions to the, to the Taoiseach at 12 o'clock, and by 2.30, the HSE issued a statement um, rowing back on but the it's, cutbacks. It's, it's just crazy that we even have to be having these uh, discussions, and I accept if in well, some areas... It, it also raises the fact that once an issue is raised with us, we try our best to make sure that people... And remember, all of these people would have gone through quite a, a difficult challenge, yeah. going through surgery, going through radium treatment, going through uh, chemo treatment, and then to find that supports are suddenly... And it's not even a huge sum of money. And if some areas are giving better, then bring everybody up to that standard. Raise the bar. Don't lower the, lower the bar. And, okay. and, and like the cost, the cost in real terms would not have been substantial. No, no. But I think it was the wrong decision that was made. And I think we've now got it reversed. And okay. the right decision. And All right. it does work. It does work. Okay, uh, Colm, I have to leave it there. I'm way over okay. on time. Listen, thank you for that. And thanks You're for joining welcome. us. Have a lovely weekend. Bye. Uh, bye-bye. That is uh, Cork TD, a member of of the Public Accounts Committee, Colin Burr. C103. Now, as we have discussed before on the programme, the progression of the Mallow Relief Road Scheme is dependent on the National Roads Exchequer funding for 2024. While well, the allocations were confirmed yesterday by Transport Infrastructure Ireland with the Mallow Relief Road to get €300,000 this year. Local councillors Garod Murphy and Pat Hayes join me with their response to the allocation of these funds. Good morning, gentlemen, and you're welcome. Morning, Morning. Uh, Grode, are you welcoming the 300,000 or are you disappointed that it wasn't more? Hmm. Um, it's, uh, on the, 
in the main, it is positive news, I would say. Um, so it is less, admittedly, than the one million which was sought by Cork County Council to go to full planning this year. But it does also mean that the project is still somewhat on track to be delivered. Um, it's definitely very different from the news last year that only 100,000 had been allocated. That effectively stalled the project completely. And to be honest, if that had been repeated this year, it would have killed it altogether because all the work, all the surveys, the studies, which would ha- have been carried out up to now, bring the roads as far, one and a half million euro worth, they would all be out of date and it would be back to square one if we wanted to restart planning of the road, which would be an absolute travesty. So thankfully that situation has been avoided. In relation to the amount which has actually been allocated, um, to be honest, at first, I wasn't sure whether to be happy with it or disappointed. Um, So my reaction is primarily guided by the reaction of the officials. Um, I've discussed the allocation extensively with council officials and engineers, and they do believe it's something that they can work with in relation to progressing the design of the road. Based on the level of funding which has been allocated, they're projecting that the council will be able to go through outline design stage this year. And then after outline design, all that will be needed is detailed design, and then it's ready to go to planning. OK, so let, let, let me begin, Councillor Pat Hayes. Pat, this time last year, the €1.2 million euro funding to bring the project to that planning stage uh, was withdrawn. Had you hoped that the money that was announced yesterday would have been sufficient to, to bring it to the planning stage? Uh, yes, uh, Patricia. Look, first of all, I, I'm just I'm delighted to welcome the allocation of funding You know, for, for the relief road. Uh, this funding... It will allow the project to progress uh, to planning stage. Uh, it, it's a piece of infrastructure, as we know. It's key to the future development of Mallow and the North Cork, and the benefits will, will be immense. Um, the, the, the amount of funding allocated will carry the project forward to July, August. And my understanding, and I've uh, inquired on this, there will be more funding made available in July uh, to carry to the next stage. So but this, why, why this, wasn't that announced yesterday? Um, I think that um, what we needed now was sufficient funders, funding to progress the project uh, to, to planning stage. And this 300,000 will carry us forward uh, to that. And then hopefully we will have a further announcement in, in, in July. OK, because, um, Garod, I saw the Cork East Labour Doll Deputy, Sean Sherlock, he's been describing it as an abysmal uh, sum of money. He says it won't get the project to planning. He said it'll facilitate some consultancy work, but what you needed was closer to a million to get it to the planning stage. Well, to be honest, unfortunately, that's all we are at at the moment. To get it to planning, consultancy work is exactly what we need. A million euro would only also have facilitated consultancy work. Admittedly, more consultancy work than, uh, you know, is facilitated under 300,000. That's, that's obvious, I suppose. But um, that is all it would have also facilitated. We're still only at design stage. We're still really only talking about the plans for the road. Just in terms of time frame, um, to the best of my knowledge... Look, just my own kind of eyeballing it estimate would be that it's likely to be able to go to planning in maybe a year and a half based on the level of funding which has been provided. And as Pat said, to be honest, I haven't had any promises about 
uh, money, and I'm certainly not going to make any promises about money to be allocated later in the year. Well, I, d- um, I, I, did, I did see, see uh, the Fine Gael, uh, your fellow councillor, um, Tony O'Shea, he's speaking in the Echo this morning and he said it was his understanding if there's money left over from other projects in County Cork, it'll be reallocated to Mallow Relief Road. So are we, are we dependent on money being left over from other jobs? I certainly hope that would happen. Uh, look, the, uh, we'll speak first of all if nothing, if no money extra is allocated. So if no extra money is allocated and to be honest, that's what happened last year. So we'll, we'll assume the worst for a second. And if no extra money is allocated later in the year, then that would mean just my own estimate would be that it'd be able to go to planning in maybe a year and a half. If money is allocated, in other words, if we basically, if it was, that would be the same as if we got our million now. And if that had happened, we'd probably be able to go to planning in about a year. So and if we, if we got case, the million last year, we'd be at planning all, uh, already. Pat, you're a businessman yeah. in, in the town. Um, mm-hmm. Just to, to explain to people what a relief road will mean to the traders of the town. Yeah, I suppose, Patricia, the, 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 I suppose the number one benefit there will be the health and safety of people, you know, working and living in the, in the town itself. Uh, you'd see a tremendous change in the quality of air, air quality, plus the safety aspect. We have, currently, we have articulated trucks coming down the main street of Mallow, which is absolutely scandalous in 2024. And I went on your radio station a number of weeks ago, and I pointed this out to Minister Ryan, that, um, you know, as a Green Party, where was the Green in, in having congestion, articulated trucks standing parked in the middle of Mallow Town, the second biggest town in County Cork. And um, thankfully, now we can progress this, but the benefits to the town would be immense. The shopping environment uh, will definitely improve. You'll see an increase in footfall. Uh, you'll have a nicer environment where people can come in. They can walk up and down the town. They can shop. Uh, currently, people are finding it easier, you know, to drive to Blackpool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. To, and, you know, and, and I know last November you called, you went so far as to call for the removal of Eamon Ryan from the Transport Ministry. Column says, could you ask the two councillors, please, why Galway Cancer Council got three million this year and three million last year towards their bypass ring road? And that was after Eamon Ryan publicly said the project cannot, could not happen. I suppose the, the, the Galway project, now from what I'm aware, that's going on many, many, many years. And I suppose anybody that knows Galway will, will... We think we have congestion here in Mallow, but Galway City is a disaster when it comes to traffic. And, and I mean, that, that road... Uh, certainly, uh, or that bypass in Galway is, is, is certainly a necessary okay. step forward. But the, the, the big, the, for, from your point of view, my, uh, the, the Mallow Relief Road, it's still there. It's, it, this will delay it, though. It, it will delay it, Patricia. Look, we did lose last year. Yeah. We are now back on track. Okay. And I'm, I'm always glass half full rather than glass half empty. There's pen, plenty of people will say, look, it's not sufficient, and it's not this, but it is. We have sufficient funding to carry the project forward. I'm absolutely delighted to welcome it. Uh, it'll, it'll kick on and, and I'm confident we will get the balance of the funding in July and okay. August. Onwards and upwards. Listen, gentlemen, yeah, I'm over time. Very quickly, Gerald. Yes. Um, in relation to the question about Galway and Cork, yeah. the answer is it's way above our pay grade as councillors. This is something that's decided nationally. We're only local representatives. Uh, Sean Sherlock is there nationally. It's really down to our TDs, such as Sean Charlotte, to deliver this. And I do find it a little bit ironic 
that he would be attacking councillors who are way down the totem pole on this compared with him. We earn about a fifth of what he does. Yeah, but he's, a, he's, he's, he's in the opposition he's benches. Office, he's opposition, and he's in Dublin yeah. where they're making these decisions. Yeah, but he's in the opposition benches, Eckerod. He doesn't control any purse strings. Well, as councillors, I'll tell you, we certainly don't either. Okay. All right. Okay, thank we you. leave it there, gentlemen. Listen, thank you for that and thanks for thank joining us. That is uh, councillors uh, Garod Murphy and uh, Pat Hayes from Mallow welcoming the allocation of 300,000 for the Mallow uh, Relief Road. Let me stay on roads and the TII allocation from yesterday. Mary in Charleville has contacted us. She's very frustrated. She said as, as she was talking to us, she was trying to get through the town of Charleville and we know how gridlocked uh, Charleville can be. She said there's literally millions we're hearing going in to roads all over the country uh, but no no mention of a relief road for Charleville and not a word about the Mallow to Limerick Road. Where is our motorway? We are reversing out of car parks we're reversing out of car spaces in Charleville and we have to reverse out onto a main road that is the Cork to Limerick Road. It is uh, disgraceful. And John Paul tells me there was many more calls like Mary saying, is there any mention of the M20 motorway? And there isn't. I did uh, look up on what is down for Charleville. There is an allocation of €250,000 for Charleville for the main street, but it's down under the heading of minor works. So I take it that's to do with the work on the pedestrian crossings uh, is it but no uh, certainly no mention in it of a relief uh, road now I also want to stay on the Mallow relief road in this 300,000 I mentioned that the Cork East Labour Doll Deputy Sean Sherlock described it as an abysmal sum of money incoming Labour Councillor Owen Kenny for the area uh, joins me in his contact just this morning good morning to you Owen Good morning, Patricia. I, I take it you would be agreeing with Sean Sherlock that 300000 is a, an abysmal sum of money and it's actually a disappointment for the area. It is, definitely. I, I, I agree with my colleague, Sean, that it, it is abysmal, really, uh, in terms of trying to get the, the relief road uh, to planning stage. Um, the problem really is, and, and the serious issue is, the congestion on our main street model. It doesn't allow for any more slip-ups uh, and surely we can all agree on that. Um, all councillors, uh, in the Mallow area should be agreeing on the fact that the main street of Mallow is a congestion crisis and that slip up here of only getting 300,000 euros uh, is only facilitating that congestion. Yeah, because as I mentioned when I was speaking with the your t- two fellow councillors in the last hour, I mean, it was this time last year everyone was devastated when the 1.2 million uh, was pulled that would have, if we'd got that money at the time, it would have brought it to uh, planning. I mean, was the hope that at least that 1.2 million would have been reinstated this year? Yeah, of course. Like, it is a very disappointing 100,000 last year. And I know the community in Mallow, along with the Mallow Development Partnership and the Mallow Chamber, set up a, a, a relief road alliance group and, and fair play to them. And uh, coming from that relief road alliance, they've met with a number of um, TDs and councillors in the area and they gave their thoughts on what they hoped would be coming. And I know Cork County Council uh, did apply for 1.2 million euros to be uh, to progressive planning. And this 300,000 euros now... and you know, we speak about a, a piecemeal approach, and this is exactly what it is. Uh, like I know from listening earlier, uh, one of the councillors said um, that he knows from his own sources that funding will be made available again in, in July or August. But that's only a hope, really. That's only uh, basing it off the fact that if there is money left over uh, from other road projects in, in, in Cork County, that we would then get the money. What I don't understand really is why wasn't the money given completely in the full amount if it is possible that the money will be given in July or August, 
this piecemeal approach coming from the Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael and Green government uh, is it, completely wrong and it, it, it denies uh, the relief road uh, the opportunity of going to planning. Well, it's going to delay it. It certainly is going to delay it. Uh, Bernard is wondering, was there any mention of greenways? Well, funny you should mention that, Bernard, because that was the one thing that I noticed when I was going through the TII's grant allocation. There are greenways are mentioned. And funny enough, the Mallow to Dungarvan uh, greenway from Mallow to the Cork uh, Waterford border has got the same, exact same funding as the Mallow Relief Road, uh, 300,000. And there's also 4 million has been allocated to the Middleton to Yall uh, greenway. And there's a number of greenways mentioned. So there is, there is very much a green stamp, isn't there, on this, yeah, these allocations? Yeah, there, there is, Patricia, really. And, you know, like that 300,000 towards the greenway is to be welcomed, of course. Uh, it's a very, very important uh, aspect of of uh, trying to get the green uh, agenda on, on board. And the three hundred thousand euros towards the greenway is very, it's, it's to be welcomed, of course. However, the lack of funding given towards the Mallow Relief Road again this year it, it stops the relief road from progressing uh, significantly and developing significantly. I know the councillor spoke earlier that this is progress, but it's very slight progress. Well, it's slow. It's slow progress. Somebody's saying what's more important. It's it's a piecemeal approach coming from the fall of the Gale government. I okay. Don't okay. Someone else. Someone else is saying, "What's more important, uh, a greenway or a relief road?" Surely, it's the relief road. Okay. Listen, I have to leave it there, Owen. Thank you for that, and okay, uh, thank thanks you. for joining us. That's Labour thank incoming uh, councillor uh, for the uh, Cantor Mallow area. That's Owen uh, Kenny Paddy and Skibbereen was on to say, Patricia, no mention of the N seventy one, the main road in and out of West Cork. The road surface is falling apart between Bandon and Gagan, and again between Clonakilty and Roscarbury. There are way. There are partways. There, I'm sorry. There's um, obviously um, roads that you're doing from Lep to Skibbereen as well. We badly need an upgrade on the N71. But I, you know, I suppose in defence of the government, they'll say they'll never have enough money to please everybody. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. Your calls are welcome. Let me go back on some of uh, the other other issues we've been addressing and some of your comments coming in on it on the uh, the, I I got to that one already on RTE after the news this morning this is from Pat. After the news this morning of Shun Yirali now 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 resigning, more and more people will will decide not to pay their TV license. But Pat feels if you watch RTE or listen to radio. RT, any of the RTE stations, then you should pay your licence. Pat wants to point out, by law, we all must pay for our TV licence if we have a TV in the house. But he says, particularly those people who watch RTE, well, whether you watch RTE or not, Pat, by law, you're meant to buy your TV licence. But he's encouraging people to buy their licence and don't go down. There's a lot of people have decided not to uh, pay it. And of course, every time there is a further twist to the saga of the RTE controversies, you find there's a slip yet again on people paying their TV licence. Patricia, the package that RTE gave Rory Coveney and Richard Collins looks very like hush-hush money. The fact that they're mentioning a confidentiality clause, you couldn't make this up, Patricia. We would have to see what is the confidentiality clause. Is the confidentiality clause just about, just around the amount of money that was given out? Or is part of the confidentiality clause that they can't talk about the work that they were involved in? I don't know. I, I don't have access to the confidentiality clause. All I know is Kevin Backhurst and the independent legal advice he has received, he's been told he can't state how much 
both Rory Coveney and Richard Collins got are anyone who's got an exit package since 2016 was what the what the Oireachtas Committee were looking for but he's been told on independent legal advice he can't release the amounts and he's written to those people instead to ask them to waiver their confidentiality whether they will only time will tell. Someone else wants to know would any or all of these revelations in RTE have ever come to light if Ryan Tuberty hadn't been found out that he was overpaid? Well people would say Ryan Tuberty did absolutely nothing uh, wrong. It was the way RTE decided to pay him that money. That's what came to light and did that is that what started all of the revelations? Yeah, 100%. Hi, Patricia. On the Dáil Public Accounts Committee, when are they going to bring in ministers and everybody involved in the National Children's Hospital? When are they going to bring them in for questioning or do they not investigate their own? I think you can be absolutely guaranteed at some stage we will have a very deep dive investigation into the National Children's Hospital, particularly when it comes to the costs that were involved. And Donald in Douglas, in relation relation to the woman who had the back injury from being rear-ended in the car in Ennis and her case got dismissed yesterday. She was looking for over three quarters of a million for this excessive back pain but she got caught out because less than a year she won a Christmas tree throwing competition and there was also video footage of her at an hour and a half wrestling with a very large Dalmatian dog at some dog training uh, event. So the judge threw it out. Donal wants to know uh, will the government department be chasing her for a fraudulent disability allowance? Yeah, because she said in court that she did go back to work but she had to go come she had to give up her job and go on a disability allowance because her back was so bad I don't know I, I absolutely don't know but it's an interesting point for sure 0818 103 103 John Paul's taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs an accounts assistant is required it's a full time position in McCroom CVs to Karen Dot O'Brien at osborne.ie Cavanagh's at Charleville they've got a vacancy for a parts advisor more information on their website which is cavanagh's.com forward slash recruit CMC Car Sales they're based in Mallow they've got a vacancy for a full time experienced car detailer CVs to cmc.sales at icloud.com and Clonakilty Community Sports Association, they've got a vacancy for an administrator. It's to work 19 and a half hours per week and is dealing with queries and bookings. CVs, please, for the attention of the manager to info at clonakiltysports.com. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With McCarthy Insurance Group, proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Now, this week, the long awaited human tissues bill passed through the Oireachtas, which will mean Irish people will be deemed to be organ donors unless they have registered their wish not to donate them. To talk about the importance of this bill, I'm joined by Carol Moore, and Carol is CEO of of the Irish Kidney Association. Good morning to you, Carol. Good morning, Patricia. Thanks for having me on. Well, you're very welcome. Now, I did say in the introduction the long-awaited uh, bill. Just how long have the Houses of the Oireachtas been working on this? I think it was first mooted about 15 years ago. 
So it's taken quite a long time. It was originally um, a bill on its own, but then it was decided to combine it with a number of other issues relating to postmortems and retrieval of other types of tissues. So it's a very comprehensive bill. So, yes, we're delighted that it has actually um, passed uh, through the doll and now will go to the president for final um, um, Sign signing. Off. Yeah. Now, the bill yeah. introduces what's called a soft opt out system. Can you just explain that to listeners how that will actually work? Okay. Um, in the vast majority of cases, you have to be a potential organ donor. Um, to, you have to die in an intensive care unit where you're attached to a life support machine. And a person will only be considered a potential donor when the ICU has lost a battle to save their life. So under the current system, when a potential donor is identified, the family is approached for consent for organ donation, specifically for transplantation. So if the family says yes, organ donation uh, process will start. If they say no, it doesn't happen. What will change under the new system is that um, people will be able to sign into an official opt-out registry and say, no, I do not want to be an organ donor in the event of my death. And in that case, their family will not be approached in the event of them dying, because as you can imagine, this is you know, a terrible situation for any family to be in. So for everybody else, then they'll be approached, the family will be approached and they'll be asked if there's any reason that their loved one would not have wanted to donate their organs. So instead of the families being asked to consent, they're being asked to assent uh, to donation. So families still have the final say, and that's really important to be aware of. And the behavioural psychologist will tell us that this very nuanced change will make a big difference. And does does a system like this operate in many other countries? (coughs) And when it was introduced, did it lead to an increase in transplants? It's very uh, variable depending on the country um, you speak to. So, for example, in England, they had an opt-in register where people could opt in on a statutory register their wish to be an organ donor. And then they introduced an opt-out register so people could also opt out. And initially in Wales, they saw a little bit of an increase. Um, but now they're actually adding the opt-in option onto passport forms. And I describe it as this is a really important piece of legislation, but it's like a builder putting in the foundations of a house. That's great. It's a big step forward. But nobody can live in that house until we finish off the house. So in organ donation, we're talking about more ICU beds. We're talking about more staffing. We're talking about dedicated operating theatres. So it's a great start, but we'll have to see what happens in terms of whether there will be an actual increase in organ transplantation. How many transplants are currently performed in Ireland every year, roughly? Uh, We're just back up to um, pre-COVID figures. So we'd be well below, we're about mid-table in terms of um, the number of organ donors um, we do. So I can't recall the exact figure offhand at the moment. Apologies. Yeah, but but, 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 but your point there, uh, did transplants almost stop during the pandemic? Oh, they did. For a period of time, they had to stop. Yes, yes. And it was only last year that we've actually regained um, pre-COVID levels. But and have you the figures for how many people are waiting on a transplant? 
Oh, yes, there's over 600 people waiting on, on the transplant. So this legislation really gives them hope um, that there is a move towards reducing that transplant list. But in every country, um, there are waiting lists because you're much more likely to need uh, a transplant than you are to actually be an organ donor. And, and, and is it hard to get onto a transplant list? Oh, yes, there's a big workup. And in many cases, it can take over a year um, to get onto a transplant list because of all the um, workups that have to be done. You know, they have to check, are you actually physically well enough to survive the surgery? Um, all your dental work has to be complete because what, although transplant is life-saving and improves people's qualities of life enormously, they have to take immune suppressant. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Medication. So that means they're much more likely to get infections. If they have trouble with their teeth, it's much more likely to affect their general health. So a person has to be in really good condition to actually undergo a transplant and they have to have blood tests done on a regular basis. And if they get a chest infection, they come off the transplant list. God, so it's me. a terrible process yeah, for people yeah, to be waiting I, on that list. Yeah, I can imagine the uh, almost sense of excitement when somebody makes it onto the list. But then yes. you get on the list, but then there's this wait period. And that must yes. be very difficult for people, Carol. Oh, it's very difficult because you have to be attached to your phone. You could get a call at any time of the day and night. Psychologically, um, it's very difficult. And, you know, I have huge admiration for people on that waiting list because, you know, it's a tough life to know that somebody else has to die mm-hmm. for you maybe to have the gift of life. And they become mentally, they become so strong and a huge admiration um, for people who go through this process because it is very, very difficult. And they always have such huge gratitude um, to their deceased organ donor family um, for giving them this gift of life. And it's a really nice community to work with because there's such kindness and, you know, real understanding of the gift of life and helping others. And uh, I'm very proud to lead the organisation and to work with the people I do because 
boy, they go, they, they have tough times. There's yeah. no doubt about that. And I've had the pleasure over the years of doing this programme of speaking with people who've been on that uh, journey and have had, uh, thankfully, very successful transplants. But it was always heartbreaking to hear the stories of somebody getting the call and getting to the hospital and then for whatever reason, the organ wasn't yes. suitable. Psychologically, I always used to feel oh. for people, that's a very, very difficult one. Oh, it's hugely difficult. And, you know, I know of people and they've been called six times before it actually happens. You know, so for them, their families and even what I found interesting since I've joined is that even the staff I work with and uh, and the volunteers I work with, it has a huge impact. Like, for example, we had somebody who was on dialysis for 15 years and they rang us to say, oh, Deborah, I, I need to cancel the holiday you booked for me because I've been called for a transplant. And we're all celebrating that because we know the lady and she's amazing. And then the following morning, we got the call to say it didn't go ahead because there was a cyst on the organ that was retrieved. Mm. So there's a lot of ups and downs. And, I, and this is why we provide a counselling service for both patients and their families. And we provide peer support because it's really tough for them going through this process. And it's, I'm glad you've mentioned uh, families because they often get forgotten about, you know, a family that's living with somebody who is on a, a transplant list, like everybody in that household is affected by that person needing a transplant. Isn't that fair to say? Oh, very much so. I mean, this is why we're a charity led by patients and families, because the families are crucial in supporting the patients. And again, it's fascinating because the patient is supported by the family, but they can also be a carer themselves for other family members, because sometimes the kidney disease runs in families or there's other health issues. And without family support, and patients always say this, they would not get through it because they're going to dialysis and family members might be driving them to dialysis. Um, They need special diets. You know, for children, it has a huge impact on the children as well because, you know, their parent might be going off to dialysis um, three or four times a week for, and, and the round trip might be six hours. So it takes a huge chunk out of people's lives. And then if people are doing home dialysis. You have all the equipment that's needed for home dialysis, which a delivery, which is a pallet load nearly of items arriving every two weeks. Wow. So it has a huge impact on families, which is why all our services are available to families as well. Yeah, and even the story of the lady ringing up about the holidays. I mean, this is the time of year that people are thinking about summer holidays and, you know, people are planning as families, where will we go? Yeah. Somebody on dialysis. Talk about what, what, what a holiday is like for somebody. You can't just park the dialysis and go away on holidays. No, you can't. No. And it's very sad. And it's something we've been advocating for for a long time, but we haven't got anywhere with it. I mean, the only unit um, that would provide what we call out of area dialysis and we get one patient a week normally into them. And a big shout out to um, the staff in um, Tralee um, because they're the only unit in Ireland where we can routinely ring them and say, can you take somebody for us? Because we organise that. So they have to get blood tests done from their parent dialysis unit. Then we send the blood tests off to the satellite, the, you know, the holiday dialysis unit. They check to see, can they accept this patient? Then uh, COVID has made it even more complicated because most units uh, want um, a PCR test within 24 hours or 72 hours. So they have to get their PCR test. And the amount of times it's happening and 
And this generally we do a lot of work for people going abroad because, as I said, you cannot get dialysis in Ireland. It's just not built into the model of service. Um, they, so people who have money can afford to go abroad. And people do travel with dialysis, but it takes a lot of planning. And we say to people, don't book your flights until you've talked to us because a lot of dialysis units have different restrictions on who or what they want to accept. And we do have heartbreaking stories. And this is where I think our staff are brilliant, um, where somebody might be traveling for a wedding, you know, their son's wedding. And next thing they have a positive PCR test so they can't travel. And then our staff have to get involved and we're we're non-clinical. So we don't have any clinical staff. So we're talking to the home dialysis unit and then we're talking to the holiday dialysis unit and seeing can we make some kind of arrangement for this person um, to have dialysis. And at times we've had to say people look travel to the airport, say if they're coming, say from Limerick up to Dublin. And, um, you know, if we can get the nursing director or the clinical director to agree to dialyze, dialyze you in isolation, then you'd be able to travel. And it can be heartbreaking at times. It is so tough on people. And this is why we need dialysis in Ireland. And again, I think it reflects that we tend to treat people in isolation in our healthcare system. So we address what they call the presenting issues, so the kidney disease, but they don't address people's mental health. Yeah, they yeah. don't look at the issues, um, other issues that affect people like housing. We're now seeing people on dialysis who are homeless, which you cannot dialyze safely when you're homeless. Oh, yeah. it's, it's, it's a terrible yeah. situation. Now, thankfully, it doesn't happen all that often, but the fact that it but happens even, even yeah, once. Even one case is, is, is one case yeah. too much. And then the difference an organ transplant can make to a patient and to that patient's family. It, it's hard even at times, isn't it, to put it into words? Uh, people get very emotional. Like I know people who've received an organ donor transplant and 10 years later, when they're talking about their gratitude to their organ donor, they will start crying with gratitude. And a lot of people will celebrate the anniversary of their organ transplant. Some people plant a tree every day. Some people write a letter to their organ donor. Some people do mass cards or go to mass. You know, there is such a bond between transplant recipients and their organ donors. They don't know each other, but we run a service um, every year where we thank the donors and it is so emotional and we're delighted. Um, This year we had a lot of representation from Cork and they're such wonderful people. And that's the other thing that there isn't a lot of publicity about. When you're going through the worst time in your life, to know that maybe your loved one lives on in somebody else, it gives people solace. It gives them hope. Yeah. And what's interesting is I've noticed chatting to people as the year goes by, that gratitude, that comfort gets even stronger because they might get a letter from the person they donated to. And that person maybe has gone on back to work or they've had children or they're, you know, they're just very happy with their lives. And that gives Um, deceased organ donor families great comfort. So what we would like is that every single person who could be a potential donor, a potential donor, they get they are asked to donate if it's a possibility. They have the total right and we totally respect that to say no, but at least give everybody 
that opportunity yeah, and that's, because it that's gives what, deceased organ yeah, donors and that's so much what, comfort. That's what this bill um, will do. And whenever it's going to help to do. Yeah, and yeah. whenever we talk about uh, organ donation on the programme, Carol, I'm always at pains to point out to people, you know, across this weekend, when everyone's fit and healthy and well, have the conversation about if, God exactly. forbid, something was to happen to you, to me, whatever, have the conversation about what people's wishes yeah. are. Because, you know, there, I think there would be a tiny, tiny minuscule of people who would not want to donate. Most people would think, you know, if your days are up, your days are up, there's no way of being saved as sad as it is, the thought of being able to give the gift of life to somebody. Oh, it's such comfort. And it's only 1% of people. And um, it is, you know, it is only 1%. And I've noticed talking to people who did want to donate, families of people where organ donation was a possibility and then it didn't happen or couldn't go ahead for various reasons. That's a huge sadness for people as well. So really what we want is that everybody has the opportunity and we maximise the possibility of organ transplantation as well. So that needs dedicated ICU beds, dedicated operating theatres, dedicated staff. And in a terrible situation, it brings some hope and it creates such great community solidarity like the amount of work that deceased organ donor families do for us is incredible. Like wow. they are such wonderful people. So, you know, we talk about society going downhill. Well, if you work with organ transplant recipients and deceased organ donor families, it can give you nothing but hope. And what we want to do with this bill now in place is that it becomes the norm to consider organ donation. And that's seen as active citizenship because mm. it's not just a healthcare issue. Um, these people give so much back to society. They're really, really inspiring. And for example, I'd like to mention Martina and Dennis Goggin up in Galway. Um, they um, donated um, their son's organs and they've developed this amazing garden in Salt Hill in Galway. Um, it's, you know, it's now on, I think it's number one or two, our trip advisor. And it's this beautiful garden that people can visit. And they've done all that, at, you know, at their own effort. And we'll be having the closing event of Organ Donor Awareness Week up there in April. Um, so, um, you know, we're really looking forward to that. So it's really, it's not just a healthcare issue. This is a societal issue because well it creates such goodwill. Well, well yeah. said. Uh, Dennis, uh, who actually had had come into us here in, in studio a while back to talk about uh, transplant, has uh, just on by text uh, to say he's on the list at the moment. And he said, Deborah and all of the staff at the Irish Kidney Association are God's gift to me and to others in this current situation. Thank you all. You're angels in disguise. <laughs> Isn't that lovely? Thank you for uh, that. Thank you for that. Uh, thank uh, you so thank much. You that, That's Dennis. lovely to hear. And, and just finally, Carol, um, Minister Donnelly also also announced increased funding of, of 1.6 million. I mean, not a huge amount of money, but at least it's it's extra funding uh, for organ donation and transplant services. I mean, I take it you welcome that. Oh, we very much welcome that. We're, that's going to go, we're not sure of the breakout, but it's go, going towards what's called a potential donor audit, which is where we manage and measure and we have the information um, to see is every family being offered the opportunity um, to donate? And if they say no, what are their reasons for saying no? And how can we address those reasons and tailor our public awareness campaigns to address the concerns people may have? Um, so that's very welcome. Okay, listen, uh, Carol, we leave it there. Thank you Sorry, for that. Sorry, Patricia. Yeah. Could I just mention one thing because it's uh, specific to Cork. We have a brand new state-of-the-art support centre uh, right beside um, Cork Univers- 
University Hospital in Wilton. And it provides overnight accommodation for people who live more than two hours away who are going to the hospital. But for World Kidney Day, we're having a coffee morning on Thursday, the 14th of March from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. So we'd be delighted to see anybody who's concerned about (laughs) kidney disease if they want to drop in. Okay, all right. Thanks for that, Carol. And thanks for joining us. Uh, Good morning to you. What a lovely lady that is, uh, Carol Moore, who is CEO of the Irish Kidney uh, Association. Just let me stay on uh, the subject of transplant. Mike Johan, who uh, I've spoken to often on the programme from uh, Ross Garbery. Very much welcoming this uh, tissue bill. Uh, Mike's on the line. Uh, good morning to you, Mike. Good morning, Patricia. And nice to speak to you again. And lovely to speak with you. How many years since your liver transplant? Uh, Patricia, I, I celebrated 16 years since my liver transplant on Christmas Day just gone. So I'm Six. in my 17th year since my liver transplant, Patricia. Oh, what, what a Christmas present that that, that was. Yeah. So this, this t- human tissues bill, a, a real step in the right direction, Mike? Oh, absolutely, Patricia, yes. Anything at all that will help transplantation and get more organ donors registered and on board um, is, is always very, very welcome. But, you know, the message always, Patricia, we say we can't kind of rest on anything. We have to keep getting out there every single time, promoting organ donation and transplantation. And the wonderful success that it is, Patricia. Back in 2007, Patricia, when I really got very sick after 14 years of dealing with autoimmune condition, I was given eight weeks to live. And that's what they told me about in Dublin. Here I am. That was that was 2007. Here we are in 2024. I'm just about to go on to the football pitch for a college's football match now with a coach. <laughs> Here I am, living a fantastic life, Patricia. I have not looked back in over 16 years. I've had no illness. Nothing whatsoever has affected me in those 16 years. So the message here very clearly from someone like me is that organ donation works. It changes people's lives for the better. But we are always very conscious of the donation that families make at the most awful and horrendous period of their lives. We are very conscious of that, Patricia, all the time. I always reflect and think of my donor every single day and the family and friends and neighbours that are still thinking and missing that person. So a very grateful transplant recipient here, Patricia. Well said, well said. Go in, have your match. And thanks a million for joining us. Always a pleasure, Mike. And always a pleasure. <laughs> Take Patricia. care. God Take care. Bye, bye bye. That is uh, the wonderful Mike Johan. I can't believe it's 16 years since Mike had his uh, liver transplant. And of course, we, we remember that story because he got his transplant on Christmas Day, which was incredible. to protect brought to you by C103 the IBI and funded by the Commission Naman with the television license fee check out ours to protect.ie for more info this week on Earth to Protect, we look at the DEA's plan to accelerate environmental sustainability ambitions at Cork and Dublin airports. 20 initiatives are being rolled out to accelerate both airports' climate and sustainability-related ambitions, including achieving net zero emissions by 2050 at the latest. Neil McCarthy is Managing Director of Cork Airport. We have a very clear ESG pillar in our strategy. Um, now and will have it future. We give equal comment to sustainability as we do to safety, but we take safety really seriously. We take security really seriously. So we give equal prominence to sustainability now. Our sustainability strategy has uh, seven uh, pillars to it. There's a carbon pillar, there's an energy pillar, there's a waste pillar, there's a noise pillar, there's a water pillar, an air pillar, and a biodiversity pillar. Each of those has targets attached to them. 
In recent years, Cork Airport was named as Ireland's best commercial semi-state body for energy reduction by the Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland. When we rebuilt our runway during COVID, all the halogen lighting, and everyone probably knows the halogen lighting, they're those big bulbs, the really fashion in the 80s and 90s, they were all pulled out. And the whole runway when it was rebuilt was rebuilt with LED lighting. All the approach lights were rebuilt with LED lighting. All of our roadways in Cork Airport have LED lighting. Car parks have LED lighting. So over a number of years, we've been switching out high energy burn for low energy burn. So that's just one example of what we've done. Uh, so then what, uh, as you know, the SEA do, they baseline your energy burn. Then they audit every year. And so best uh, commercial seven state two years running. And we're very proud of that. The 20 initiatives announced by DEA earlier this month include that the light vehicle fleets at both Cork and Dublin airports will be 100% electric by the end of 2024, improving air quality at bus stations at both airports with innovative photobioreactor technology, the upgrading of apron lighting to energy-efficient LED technology at Cork Airport and the submission of a planning application for a 1.8 million kilowatt solar farm at Cork Airport. This year, we will be applying for planning permission for a solar farm at Cork Airport, where at the moment we're designing, we're looking at two options. One is an option uh, which is in a field on airport land, um, and that is quite a distance to our energy uh, transmission centre, and the other is over our surface car parks. And look, each of those will have different challenges and benefits. Surface car parks will be really visible, it'll cover your car. Uh, when you're, you're in, so it has an added advantage. People like covered cars in, in surface car parks. Uh, it's more expensive to construct, um, but it's closer to the energy centres, so the less civil. So we're doing an evaluation at the moment in terms of which of those is the highest uh, payback in terms of cost-benefit. It will generate 30% of our energy. And so I suppose you have to see is believe in this stuff. They, it, everyone is a little bit sceptical about, about and carbon reduction and energy because there's a lot of greenwashing out there. Trust real projects, trust the SEAI. We'll be going to planning this year for 30% of our energy needs for a solar farm core fair for. Kenny Jacobs is CEO of the DAA. We're really, really serious about this. And you can see all the initiatives that we currently have had running for the past number of years currently running. And we really want to get there. We want Dublin and Cork airports to be amongst the very best airports in Europe for sustainability. Um, and for us, that's not a choice. We're absolutely determined uh, to do that. We think we can do that while growing. DEA is also participating in the government's decarbonisation reduce your use campaign. At the recent launch event, DEA was presented with the Smarter Travel Mark by National Transport Authority, which is awarded to organisations with a broad range of measures in place that support sustainable travel. To learn more about the DEA sustainability activities, visit the DEA website daa.ie forward slash ESG or check the show notes of this episode. to protect brought to you by C103 the IBI and funded by the Commission Naman with the television license fee check out ours to protect.ie for more info
And our thanks to Marage Two Week for this week's hours to uh, protect. It's time to give away more free money. Free money. Snap the app only on C103. Yes, it is that time of the day. Hundreds of you have sent us in a screenshot from the C103 app, but only one can join me on air. I'm going to Carrigaline, uh, where Dee Megan uh, joins me. Good afternoon to you, Dee. Um, Dee was there. Is she on line one? Can you hear me, Dee? Hello. Oh, hello. Can you hear me? I can. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Yeah, your reception isn't great. You're in Carrigaline. I am. Oh, my God. I can't believe it. (laughs) (laughs) Because you entered, you snapped the app and sent us in the picture. I did. So that means I do this. It means you are our qualifier, Dee. Woohoo! You're from Kilbritton, but working in Carrigaline, is it? That's right, yeah. Okay, so you travel you travel up from Kilbritton every day? Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right, well, 500 euro, you're in with a chance. Five, five to one shot. There's five, there'll be five qualifiers at the end of the day. All right, Dee, congratulations to you. Thank you so much. Okay, and keep that phone on and, and a good area for signal this afternoon, oh, okay? I, w- okay. I would indeed. <laughs> okay, take care. Bye-bye. That is uh, Dee. Uh, Megan from Kilbritton, but in Carrigaline, the signal wasn't great there now in Carrigaline, but not to worry, Dee is qualified. That's the most important thing. Her name goes forward to the draw. Draw will take place with Martina this afternoon, and Dee could be winning for herself 500 euro worth of free money. Keep downloading the C103 app if you haven't already done it, because Nick this afternoon will look for two more qualifiers, and Martina will look for the fifth and final one. Five names going into the hat and one person will get a call back from Martina and could be walking away 500 euro better off. We've done it every day this week. Snap the app. Make sure you've downloaded it. And if you have already downloaded the app, as many as of you have, judging by the entries we've been getting in all week, don't forget you can use that C103 app to listen to the Premier League live because it's back tomorrow with Trevor Welch. It's on from 2 o'clock, powered by Talk Sport. We'll be bringing you live coverage tomorrow of Manchester United versus Fulham at 3. Bournemouth are taking on Man City at 5.30. And then Arsenal versus Newcastle United. That's at 8 tomorrow night. That's the Premier League Live online with Harvey Norman, your home of the big screen. You can listen Saturday on that C103 app that you've downloaded. Or, of course, you can go to c103.ie. John Paul continues to take your calls at 0818103103. And I was listening to Mirage there on the popular baby names. You know, the, the CSO always released the most popular uh, baby names for the previous year. But what the CSO have always done, and they're always great to dig down through all of the information that they have at the Central Statistics Office. And they've taken a look at how names have changed over the years and they've gone back to 1964 where the most popular names in 1964 were Mary and John but both those names have fallen in popularity in 2023. Mary has gone to 130th place and John is still still doing well but is well out of the top 10. Uh, John was in 31st place. Other examples of names that have declined since 1964 include Geraldine and Raymond Geraldine, would you believe, hasn't featured in the rankings since uh, 2001. And for confidentiality reasons, what the CSO always, they they do every year, if if babies are born and three or less 
are given a particular name, they don't include those in the figure. So it is possible that there was three babies last year who were named Geraldine, but they haven't featured at all in the rankings. Other names that have fallen out of favour, Doris and Dudley. They haven't featured since the 1970s. Cecil and Gertrude, they have not been included since the... Cecil was there into into the 1980s and Gertrude was actually there into the 1990s, hasn't featured since. Names associated with the Bible and saints' names. Now, the Central Statistics Office tell us that they have a tendency to fluctuate and have been fluctuating since 1964. For example, Paul and Anne, two saints' names, they were both in fourth place. place in 1964, but they've fallen out of favour. Paul now has come in in 219th place and Anne has come in at 296. Now, there is a difference between Anne with an E and Anne without an E. For example, in 1964, Anne with uh, an E was in fifth place and Anne with an E has gone to 316th place. Mark Malone is going to be joining us in a couple of minutes. The name Mark was ranked 28th in 1964, but then it up in popularity and it peaked in 1986 when there was it was in seventh place but it's failed to make the top 50 since 2013 so Mark seems to have uh, fallen out of favour as well but staying on biblical names there has been a real popularity around names from the Bibles certainly since the noughties Luke and Hannah became particularly popular in the noughties and the name Noah That's had a massive rise. The name first appeared in 1996. And in 1996, it was in 295th place of popular baby names in 1996. It went to second place in 2022 and it has remained in second place last year. And Noah, by the way, also featured in the top 10 US baby names and it's been there since 2009. Another Old Testament name, Eve, that's increased in uh, popularity since the 1970s up to uh, 2022. And there are also obviously with uh, people with of, of Islamic faith in this country, the CSO has noticed that the name Muhammad. It first appeared in 1991 and last year it came in in 63rd uh, place. So it's a a kind of a real reflection of the times as well, isn't it, when you look back on uh, baby names. But as Mairead was telling us in the news, uh, Jack is still the most popular. I think Jack has has been there for seven years, actually. Jack has been the most popular name and Grace is the most popular girl's name for last year. Grace actually replaced last year's favourite. Last year's favourite was uh, Emily but uh, Grace was last in the top spot in 2020. So Grace and Jack are the two most popular uh, names. What else is there on popular names? James is in there. Noah, as we mentioned, is in there. Uh, Fia is also there for girls. Sophie is uh, is in there. And then the new entrants for last year, uh, Caelan, Jude, Paddy. Isn't that lovely? Aina and Dahi, the Irish name for uh, David, appeared in the, uh, they're the top five entrants in the top 100. And the new baby girls' names, Lucia and Sophia, 
are also uh, up there as well. Yeah, I always find, <laughs> always find those babies, those baby names uh, fascinating. And the CSO, of course, release those every single year. 0818103103. Back to some of your commentary coming into the programme. RTE is still featuring in a lot of your calls uh, today. And I know uh, the latest breaking news from RTE is that the RTE board are going to hold a meeting this afternoon following the resignation of Shuini Rally. And there seems to be a big argument breaking out with people pointing the finger at Catherine Martin and that she effectively sacked the chairperson of the RTE board on TV last night. But other government ministers are coming out defending her. So she's in for a bit of stick with some even uh, questioning. Is her job now uh, tenable and do people have confidence in the media minister? This is going to rumble on. Uh, Ryan Tupperty got mentioned by somebody earlier saying, is this all because of what Ryan Tupperty did and I was defending him saying well look at the end of the day he just got paid a lot of money he didn't actually do anything wrong but Tom wants to point out technically Patricia you're wrong Ryan Tuberty took money for work he didn't do so is that is that not wrong says Tom and yet you're right Tom I hold my hands up to your superior knowledge the 150,000 that he said he would pay back when he was going back into RTE he, as far as we know, he hasn't paid that money back and they have no way of getting that money back from him was the last legal advice I think RTE had. But no, he hasn't paid it back. Liam said Kevin Backhurst has written to those people in RTE who got an exit package since 2016, asking them if they will relinquish the confidentiality clause so that Kevin Backhurst can release their names and release how much they each received under their exit package. Liam said... Is that not a bit like sending out a wedding invite to somebody and hoping that they won't attend? Because I take it RTE won't want that information to go public because that would be like a red rag to a bull to some people. Because certainly when T Forbes was there, there was, I think, was it 2.6 million was paid out in exit fees over a period of time. So a lot of people got a lot of money uh, to walk away. Nice job if you can get it. Uh, we've been talking about roads on the programme today. The back road to Drimmer League from Breeder Cross is brutal, says this uh, text. Our worst road I have ever seen. There are potholes everywhere. At one point on the road, you actually have to slow down, says this texter, to 10 kilometres per hour. And that's just to get over one section of the road. It's got bumps up and down. And what do they call that when the road starts to undulate? Usually because there's a lot of water on the road. I wonder, is that an issue with that road? Plenty of flat tyres have happened from local people. The council have been called, yet nothing has happened. So this person would put forward the Drimmer League to beat across. It desperately needs to be a resurfaced. And then Sean, the taxi driver, says, Patricia, I was delighted to hear yesterday you speaking and um, then had Councillor Declan Hurley from Dunmanway highlighting the problem of the dangerous overgrown hedges in the Dunmanway area. I'm a taxi driver and I cover the area that was identified yesterday, collecting school children. And this winter has been extremely difficult to get my job done safely. Whilst, yes, I accept some cutting has taken place, the worst stretch of road looks like it hasn't been maintained in at least 10 years or more and certainly needs some work and work done soon. 
visibility is so poor on the road. I've met the, I'm, I can meet the school bus every day and it's almost impossible to pass. Looking forward to seeing an improvement soon. And that's thanking you, Sean, who's a local taxi driver in the area. And I take it the stretch of road that Sean is talking about is the road that was highlighted by John, who has is a truck driver. And he was talking about the overgrown hedges from Toker Cross to Inchigila. But he said, there's one road and somebody else sent us on photographs of it. It's a very narrow road um, leading up to Money Lee. And the photographs, I mean, there's grass growing in the middle of the road. It is, it is very much a by road, but it's a by road, obviously, that people are using. And I'm assuming, Sean, the taxi driver, that's the road that he's talking about. And the bus, the school bus, does that have to use that road uh, as well? And in fairness to Councillor Declan Harley, he did contact us yesterday. And uh, he said he would be looking into it. And he got back to us this morning to say he did, after his chat with us yesterday, he did follow up with the area engineer who confirmed to Declan that the landowner in the area has been written to. And he was written to in November of last year. And if he would have received the letter, Declan told us what's contained in those letters. They have 30 days in which to act. The engineer stated that the particular road is a very minor local secondary road. And the council will follow up with the landowner again. We're certainly looking at the photographs that we got into the programme yesterday on WhatsApp and I think John Paul was sending them on to Declan Hurley as well. It certainly doesn't look like any work has been done this year and you know if that is the road that Sean the taxi driver is talking about I kind of would have to agree with him. It does look like no work has been done there for at least 10 years. 0818-103-103. Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, making Cork County the place to live, work, visit and invest in. See CorkCoco.ie. Kayleigh Sets uh, will go on in the Marion Hall in Ballinhasic uh, tonight. Music is by Michael Sexton, dancing from 9.30. Admission 10 euro, which does include teas. A female entrepreneurial programme called Excel. It's a a part-time programme dedicated to providing women with support in exploring and developing their business idea. The programme commences on the 9th of March, but the final date for receipt of applications is today. If you'd like more information, you can check out the website rubiconcentre.ie. Tully Lee Starmer Group are presenting Two Loves of Gabriel Foley. It's a three-act comedy by Jimmy Carey. It's in Tully Loose Hall and it runs across this weekend and next weekend nightly at 8. Aerog are hosting a conference or a concert even in honour of Frank Casey. It is on tonight, starts at 8 in their Ovens Hall. Participating acts include Liam O'Connor, Galleon, Natural Gas and Bob the Donkey. Tickets are €20, available at aerogcork.ie or eventbrite. All proceeds from tonight going to Marymount Hospice and Cun Vuera. Kildallery Bingo is on tonight, 8 o'clock, in the store at the Creamery Yard. Jackpot €1,000. And social dancing in Fremont Community Hall is on tonight. It's in aid of the Irish Red Cross. Music from 9 to 12 with Liam Mannering and Marie. Doors open at half past eight. Admission €10 with a raffle and refreshments. And there's a table quiz at the weigh-in in in Dripsy. That's on 
tonight and it's got an 8 o'clock start. Court today on C103. With McCarthy Insurance Group, proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. C103. And I want to go to the Bandon uh, area because um, I'm joined by Fianna Fáil councillor Sean O'Donovan, uh, who joins me to discuss what is a really disappointing incident that happened at the graveyard attached to St. Patrick's Church in Bandon. Good afternoon to you, Sean. Afternoon, Patricia. Now, I, it, this happened this week, was it? Uh, yeah, just yesterday. Just yesterday. yesterday evening. Okay. You went along to visit your dad's uh, grave. What, what did you find when you got to the graveyard? Yeah, so uh, I went to dad's grave yesterday evening and um, noticed that there was some some um, stuff missing from the grave, statues and that sort of stuff. So we, we had a look around the place and uh, came across some of the items that were broken. Um and then hidden away under a tree in a box was uh, another item, kind of a, one of those glass uh, globes with a statue, you know, the ones with the water in them. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so then obviously um, there was people who came to a grave just up to the same line of my dad's and there was stuff missing from their grave as well. And so I rang the Gardaí and when I, when I was speaking to the Gardaí, there was... Um, there was a, a person acting suspiciously around the graveyard and, I, you know, when you get that kind of gut feeling... yeah. Um, I just thought there was something not right, so the guardy came up and um, I explained what had happened, and they went and questioned the the same person, and and um, he had some stuff on him, and he had some stuff hidden in oh. underneath trees and stuff. So, so I, I, yeah, I so. see what what I can't understand he, uh, here. Like some of the items that were taken from your dad's grave, you found broken. So that to me is just complete vandalism. Um, so what, what was what was his was he was he going to rob these items? Why why did he break items that he didn't want to take? I don't know what's going on. Being honest, Patricia, like there's a lot of a lot of stuff, and like overnight um, through social media, um, I came across another lot of stuff, um, like statues and little ornaments from graves, little kids' toys and stuff, little tractors and stuff. So um, I'm assuming these all came from graves, and I have people came into me this morning in the office and gave them back some stuff from their graves and I have more people on the way so it's it's just it's just sad I don't know what's going on yeah, um, it's just and did, did they, it's, have you have you had any update from the Gardaí do you yeah, think that that was the they man questioned, yeah they questioned the person last night so it's I suppose it's an ongoing okay, investigation okay, okay. and um, what's so, really sad about this was um, your wonderful mum was with you that your mother that must have been very upsetting for her was it it was because she has pride in, in the graves and stuff, you know, and it's it's always looked after very well and in, in perfect condition, we'll say, you know, so it was just upsetting to see stuff that was there since my dad died, like that was gone um, yesterday. But we've we've relocated most of it except one item. So Good, good. Um, but your message to yeah. people, if you have particularly anybody buried, a loved one buried at St. Patrick's Church graveyard, is to try and visit this weekend just to check up on their grave. Absolutely. And as I said, I have I have probably 40, 50 items, maybe. OK. So if any anyone is missing them, they can contact me, they can call into me. Um, and if, if it's planted them, obviously, they can have it back and put it back in the graves or whatever, you know. So you gathered up the items but you found and, and brought them back to the office? I did. I did, yeah. And um, as I said, through social media last night, I got hold of more early this morning. So, um, yeah, 
that's so very just, good I just want you. to return it to the people who own it, I suppose, basically. That's, you know? re- that's really, really, really good good of you. And is, is your mother okay? Has she got, gotten over it all? She is. She, she's, she's okay. I think she was kind of happy that that I suppose the, the, the result is, is what it is, that we got the stuff, most of the stuff back, you know, and that a person was apprehended for, for doing it. So hopefully it'll be, it'll put a stop to it now, you know. Yeah. And when you hear of like little things like, like tractors, uh, you know, on a grave, that's either, it's either a child's grave or it's a child putting a little item on a grave. And it means a lot to that, to that person. Yeah, like there's no monetary value probably in any of it. Like, so it's, it's just the memories and it's it's something very special to whoever put it on the grave. So yeah, that's why I'm anxious to get it back to okay. whoever okay. whoever owns it, you know. OK, and we have your details, if anybody. But the, the most important message is to get out. If you have a loved one buried in St. Patrick's Church graveyard in Bandon, go visit this weekend just to check out and see because it would be great if there are items missing that Sean is looking after them for, for you and uh, can return them to you. And listen, just while we have you on the line, we were talking about the TII, their grant allocation and in, in particular not everybody some people are happy in the Mallow area but not everybody is but I was looking down through the list the the Bandon Bypass extension got an extra 150,000 are you welcoming of that? Uh, I suppose I'd welcome the 150,000 but it, it should be it should be millions we've talked about not, not thousands at this stage and the Southern Relief Road here the bypass is, is really badly wanted for Bandon but like it's it's that, that money will be swallowed up in um in, in a survey or whatever work yeah, is just, done it's on, just on not enough is it stuff, you know? it's, it's just not enough it's not, not at all no 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 if it was 10 maybe 10 20 30 million you know I'd be very happy but it's it's only just a very very small little sum to do some more surveying on the land I suppose to, to pick the route you know well, you, you did get uh, 800,000 for uh, West Cork for a greenway from Cork to Skull that's very welcome news, actually. Yeah. Um, and there was more another allocation from Cork to Kinsale as well, which four hundred and fifty thousand um, is yeah. is under review as well. So that that will be very welcome money. Um, greenways, I suppose, are, are are very good because they they bring in people into the area, and it's it's all about exercise and healthy and all the rest of it. So, like the water greenways, you know, is is a huge success down there, and is bringing lots of people to the area. So. Hopefully, when when the greenways to West Cork and Kinsale are done, it'll be it'll increase tourism and be of benefit to everybody here as well. Okay, about one hundred and fifty thousand for the Bandon Bypass extension, but they do have it down under minor works. Uh, so I suppose that says enough. Okay, listen, we leave it there, Sean. Thank you for that, and thanks for joining us. Thank you, Patricia. Thank Good you very much. Good morning to you. That is uh, Fianna Fáil Bandon-based uh, councillor Sean O'Donovan. So please check your graves at St. Patrick's Church in uh, Bandon. 0818 103 103. Remember yesterday, it was about this time, uh, we spoke with uh, Jack, who is uh, from Clonakilty, but he is living and working in the Kerry area. And he was outlining the saga of what had happened on the Dublin-Houston to Cork uh, service and uh, a, a train journey that should have taken him three hours to get him all the way to Kerry. It was 10 hours and he was quite funny in the way he described what happened. What I loved was the fact that he talked about the great spirits of everybody on board that train and everybody was trying to help each other out. But it was quite trying at times, particularly when they had to get off the train and they were stuck in Port Arlington and there's no waiting room and it was raining and there was no even a vending machine to get something to eat or drink and they were standing there for ages waiting for the train. Anyway, we did get on to Erin uh, Rodair and to, just to say, can you tell us what happened now? They outlined basically much the same.
as Mark Jack said that unfortunately the train uh, broke broke down uh, just three kilometres outside of uh, Port Darlington and they go on to say that ultimately the customers arrived back in Cork at half past two in the morning. They say catering supplies were distributed and further water was brought onto the train at Port Leash and at Limerick Junction for customers. They also tell us taxis were arranged for all who needed them to get them to their final destination. So well done. And this is good news for our Jack. Customers will be refunded as well as issued with further vouchers. And Ian were there and recognised that there was a hugely disruptive delay and they're going to review all aspects of their response based on customer feedback. But they went on to thank the customers and our Jack for the patience and the courtesy shown to Ian were there and staff on board and at the stations. And I think everyone accepted it wasn't the staff's fault. And yeah, they also talk about the courtesy to each other during the lengthy delay and to everybody on board and the station staff who responded to assist. So if you were one of this, I think there's about 400 odd passengers on the train. You will be getting a full refund and you'll also get some vouchers. C103. And Mark Malone, our movie reviewer, joining us. Good afternoon, Mark. Just spotted, remember the uh, the actor who played Fred Elliott in Coronation Street? Greg Lee? Yeah, he's passed away aged 86. Oh, John, awesome. John Savadon. He was a big man, wasn't yeah, he? From a, I didn't man. watch Coronation Street, but I, was, I do know who you were talking about. He had a kind of a really heavy accent, didn't that's he? It, yeah. yeah, he was very funny. He was, he was the butcher. He was funny, yeah. He was the butcher and then his, his, his secret son, Ashley Peacock, um, uh, arrived. Yeah, oh, that's sad to hear. He was a funny, funny character. Okay, you went to the movies for us. You watched two movies, Madam Wed, Webb and Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. Here is a trailer from Madam Webb. This is an emergency. That man is trying to kill you. If you want to live, you have to trust me. What is going on? I can see the future. Let's try that again. Those girls have no idea the power they can unlock. I will kill them first. Are we looking at superheroes here? <laughs> yeah. Two superhero movies, I'm afraid. Sorry about that. Okay, but uh, you're the, all right. they were the only things they were in okay. and streaming, if and you see what I mean. And they were extremely popular. Um, yeah, but these two didn't particularly do very well. Oh, okay. um, but they both suffer from the same, the exact same problems. Uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about uh, superhero fatigue, and I think both of them did suffer from that. And I think okay. a few years ago, I think they would have done quite well at the box office and would have been kind of. And what? They've just produced too many of them, is it? I think so, yeah. And I think yeah. it's the same stuff uh, that we're watching over and over again. At least with Madame Webb, they tried to do something a little bit different, but it didn't really, really quite work. There was an awful lot of problems uh, with this film. Dakota Johnson stars. I really like Dakota Johnson. So do I. You know, I've always liked her. I thought she's really good. Anybody who can make those. 40 Shades movies and still have a career I mean oh. come on do you know what I mean uh, her mother is uh, Melanie Griffith of course her father is Don Johnson yeah exactly yeah. yeah so she knows Hollywood inside out and I love when I see her being interviewed because she seems really really cool but the thing is is that she really does phone this in because uh, she wasn't best pleased on how the film f- uh, turned out in fact I believe she uh, fired her agent uh, after the film yeah. uh, now to be honest and to be fair to her I mean you know apparently the, the first script that she signed on to was a much darker script and it was big it was, you know it was, a, it was a much better script but uh, they went back in and I don't I don't know whose decision it was. I don't know. Is it that um, is it the movie studios themselves that get cold feet and go, look, this isn't going to work and we'll try something a little bit different? And I was talking about um, trailer clickbait, for example, the other day. They had a trailer and they went back and uh, there's three girls in this who are potential spider women. And uh, they only are, are in it for, they, as spider women. They're only in it for about, well, they're in the, throughout the whole film. But as the spider women, they're only in it for about two or three minutes. They went mm. back in, recut the trailer and used all the scenes that they 
ARN to try and give people the impression that this, them is, in. that this is yeah exactly that this is a rollicking kind of uh, old fashioned kind of superhero movie featuring these women and they were uh, not uh, they were in the film but not as uh, those characters so we um, at, the, at the start of the film Dakota Johnson's mother is um, uh, Dakota Johnson is in her belly basically uh, because her mother is a scientist she's in the Amazon as you do when you're pregnant <laughs> and uh, she's looking for a very very rare spider whose venom can solve uh, the world's uh, health problems it can kind of basically cure anything but it's very difficult to find she does uh, find it uh, she is with a man called Ezekiel uh, in the jungle he decides that he wants the spider for himself shoots her um, but we, we, at the start of the film we also hear that there are these Amazonian kind of uh, natives who live on the, the tops of the canopy of all the trees and they control the spiders they come down uh, they put some uh, spider venom into her mother's uh, stomach it saves the baby but it doesn't save her mother it jumps forward to 30 years to 2003 and Cassie now is um, she's paramedic and um, she all of a sudden why after 30 years she suddenly realises that she can see into the near future and she meets these three girls who um, all don't seem to have any parents uh, but they're all best friends and she realises that uh, there is this man in a inverted commas Spider-Man suit uh, after them because this is Ezekiel who we met in the jungle who shot her, uh, her mother who, took the, who yeah. took the spider and apparently he can see too into the future he has these visions that these three girls in the future when they become in inverted commas spider women uh, are going to kill him so he decides to to kill them now the reason why I keep saying inverted commas is that um, this is a Marvel film and as we know Sony owned the rights to uh, uh, Spider-Man uh, so throughout the film they don't have the rights to Spider-Man in this film so they constantly kind of reference a kind of Spider-Man type characters throughout the film so you've got to keep uh, that in mind and the problem is is that they obviously went back in and uh, they decided you know Johnson said that the, 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 the finished film had nothing to do with the, 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 the film that she had signed up to she said it was unrecognisable from the version of the script that she signed up to yeah make. completely yeah and you can see it it's a complete mess I mean it is completely all over the place and you know for example uh, I don't know if you remember uh, Dr. Doolittle and I, yeah. I spoke about this with uh, Robert Downey yeah. Jr where yeah. you saw the back of his head a lot in the film but you could hear him speak because they had to go back in and try and make some sense of the film by having him overdub. But, of course, they weren't going to go back and refilm again, so they just did the audio. And that's why there's a lot of shots at the back of his head. When you watch the, the, the bad guy here, the Ezekiel character, he's saying things, but he's mouthing something completely different. You know what I mean? So, obviously, they go back in. They try desperately, you know, to try and make some kind of sense of, uh, of the film. It ends up being a complete mess. It really is. It's all over the place. It's an entertaining mess. Now, at no stage was I bored watching this because at the same time I do like Dakota Johnson I think she's very very good at no sense at no time after the first five minutes of the film do we see the, the, the three girls in their costumes and so it, there's basically an awful lot of running about none of it makes any sense and unfortunately I did spend a lot of the time going well, that's a bit silly. That doesn't make... And I don't want to be doing that. I don't want to be kind of saying, mm. well, that doesn't make... And obviously it doesn't make any sense because they went back and they reshot a lot of it and they tried to make and sense of it. Would it have been a better movie if it had been, as she described, darker? It probably would, yeah. yeah so the question okay. I have to ask is, obviously it's it's movie studio um, executive interference where they get cold feet and they go, okay, this isn't, this isn't work. This We've got to make yeah. it less and kind of dark. And they got it wrong. And they got it wrong and it hasn't done very well at the box office. It's at tw- 13%, I think, on, oh, um, on, tomatoes. on tomatoes. But I, I look, I, there was a lot still to enjoy. I thought it was silly fun as well, as well as being... Well, I so know worth it's the bad. watch. So worth look, it. I'm still going to yeah. recommend it. 
Mark it out of 10? Uh, five. Five out of 10. And it's called Madam Webb with the wonderful Dakota Johnson. Now, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. Yeah, well, I don't know da, if you saw da, da, the first da, one. I presume you didn't because no. it's not really your kind no, of thing. No, not yeah. my cup of tea, but I'm well aware of Aqu- Aquaman. Yeah, which was really, really entertaining. It was a billion dollar movie. It did really, really well. And so they decided to, obviously, they, they decided to make a sequel. But I believe James Wan, the director here, uh, he was pressurized to make it as soon as possible. And he was put under pressure to go, look, we need to get this uh, sequel out while, you know, the, the, the iron is hot. And, um, and I think basically the same thing has happened again. They went back. There was an awful lot of reshoots. There was an awful lot of problems with it. We know the problems with Amber Heard, for example. So they ended up basically cutting her out of oh, the film. Of course, <laughs> I forgot the Amber Heard connection. And Jason Momoa didn't like her at all. There were times yeah, throughout yeah. the, uh, apparently, allegedly throughout Alleg- the filming, he would dress up as Johnny Depp and would, would, oh, <laughs> would quote the court case mean. to her. Yeah, don't exactly. He didn't like her at all. He wanted her completely out of the film. But it also stars people like Nicole Kidman and uh, Dolph Lundgren, who are hardly seen. And in fact, huh. Dolph Lundgren said, you know, the first, again, like, like Madam Webb, the first iteration of the script, the, I was in it more often, so was Nicole Kidman, but they just went in and they completely just just reshot everything because they just thought it's not going to work and it doesn't and it didn't really work again the box office was okay the box office was about 400 million but it needed to achieve about 600 million and, uh, and, and I imagine the box office was good be- off the back of the first Aquaman exactly yeah but, yeah. Uh, but it's, it's a lazy story making because basically they've uh, decided that Black Manta is back again Black Manta was the bad guy in the first film they decided to bring him back again which I think is kind of pretty lazy and also in the first film Jason Momoa's character here of Aquaman it's his brother Brother. His brother was banished, uh, you know, because he was the bad guy. He also, yeah. he was banished uh, in, into jail and prison for the rest of his life. Um, Black Manta comes back, and so therefore, Jason Momoa decides that Patrick Wilson, who plays the character of Om, and he decides that he needs him, so goes to uh, goes to him and says, "We need you. We need to team up to battle against a Black Manta again." And it's almost like all of a sudden they're friends again. You know what I mean? And then it became kind of a buddy cop, uh, a buddy movie, which is not again what they were looking for uh, originally. They were looking for a completely different kind of storyline to that and because of that then because they had to rejig all the storyline there's an awful lot of action sequences with basically the actors just standing in front of green screens it does look sometimes like they're reading from cue cards because they obviously didn't know because they were obviously writing as they went along trying to make sense of this thing there's an awful lot of CGI and like in Madden Web, some of it is really 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 bad and really really poor James Moore is having fun a lot of the time I, like I don't know if you notice when he uh, turns up at interviews he's always drinking Guinness did yeah, you ever yeah, notice yeah, that yeah. well the product placement of Guinness in this oh. film Goodness me, it's all over the place. And at, on, one stage, at one stage, he goes schlanter to, uh, oh. to somebody else, which I thought was kind of cool. Look, I again, look, uh, I still enjoyed it, though. It's nonsense. It's rubbish. Yeah, but, but sometimes look, sometimes that's just what you need, a bit of nonsense. Exactly. Aquaman of the Lost Kingdom out of 10, please. I give that a six. Six out of 10. Okay, a point higher than Madame Webb. Have a lovely week and we'll chat we next week. That is Mark Malone, our movie reviewer. And that's what I've got to leave you for today and indeed for this week. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards with you for the afternoon. Looking for more qualifiers for Snap the App. Have a great weekend. I'll talk to you Monday at 10. Cork Today on C103. With McCarthy Insurance Group, proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. C103's Irish Sunday is the big show on your radio. Sunday mornings from 10. Four hours of all-time favourites from Michael English to Claudia Buckley. Mary Black to Declan Nurney. And the High Kings to Louise Morrissey. It's Cork's greatest hits, guaranteed. And everyone is Irish. With Cork Opera House, where award-winning Cleona Hagen brings the songbook of Dolly Parton to the stage on March 18th. See CorkOperaHouse.ie.
Join us Sunday mornings from 10 a.m. on C103. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.